0: Lauren.
1: Mike, what if I told you that you've been doing the internet all wrong? Like you've been too trusting about how it works and it's like all centralized and stuff.
0: I mean, I signed up for Twitter, so I every day I feel like I'm doing the internet wrong.
1: <laughs> what if I told you that the blockchain is going to fix everything?
0: Uh, I would run in the opposite direction.
1: Well, just stick around at least for this podcast. Okay. Okay. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer on the blockchain. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a senior writer at Wired.
0: Uh, My name is Michael Caloria. I'm a senior editor at Wired.
1: Which is also on the blockchain. Oh, no. We're also joined by Wired senior writer Gilad Edelman, blockchain expert.
2: (laughs) This is going to be a disaster.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So today we're talking about the web. You may have heard of it. What you may be a little bit less familiar with is this idea of web 3 aka the next phase of the web it's a buzzword that's been thrown around a lot by silicon valley lately but what does it actually mean for how we're going to experience the web so Galat, this week you talked with the person who coined the term web 3. his name is gavin wood and we've run this as QA on wire.com which everyone should go read but tell us what is web 3.
2: Web three is, as you say, it's a buzzword. It's not any one concretely defined concept, but the idea is that it's the next phase of the web. So web one is go back to the nineties era. This is like the static web page. It's very decentralized. This is an important point. You know, you would nav, typically you would type in a URL and go to that site to engage with stuff. And that would be like a server in a building somewhere. Exactly. And each one is different. And, right and, and in, in the internet's early days it, it just existed on everybody's computers. Web 2 it refers to the era that we're living in now where you have a lot of concentration of online activity in dominant platforms so this is the this is the era of the dynamic app layer or the dynamic web page layer on top of the internet and so a lot of online activity has gotten funneled through platforms like Facebook, YouTube, Amazon and on the a, f- a bit further up the stack you have a lot of or down the stack I can never remember the, the <laughs> arrow there but you also have um, concentration of like computing right in you know AWS right or or other major cloud providers so there are all sorts of reasons that people are unhappy with the status quo so the idea of web3 is to bring back that that early spirit of decentralization using dun-dun-dun, the blockchain.
1: <laughs> so does Web3 have to exist on the blockchain and have to involve cryptocurrencies? Like, the, how fundamental is the blockchain to what it is?
2: That's a really good question because it, at, the, at the broadest level of abstraction, um it's really, the idea here is decentralization, which is a concept, it's not a particular technology, but the energy here is really coming from the blockchain. And when people talk about Web3, they're absolutely talking about blockchain related technologies. So Gavin Wood told me that the the thing about blockchain is that it's the only technology he's ever come across that's about distributing power rather than centralizing power. And I don't know if I totally buy that, but there are reasons to to believe that that might be true in the sense that, I mean, the whole point of blockchain going back to Bitcoin is that you don't need a central authority saying what's true and what's false. Because the, the, the innovation of the blockchain that made Bitcoin such a big thing to begin with is that the ledger, right, the record keeping is distributed and it's happening on all of the computers that are in the network. To somebody like Gavin Wood, that's a really powerful idea because... In his view, a huge problem right now is that we have to uh, trust central gatekeepers like monopolistic tech companies and also like the centralized government regulators that supposedly have power over them. And so um, to somebody like Gavin Wood and and other people who are excited about this technology, um, the promise of using blockchain is that you can somehow break free of that need to put your faith in uh, a central authority.
0: And also break free of the possibility of being regulated. It seems to me like that's part of the motivation here, you know, because like if the argument is that the Internet is broken and because it's all all the tools that we use are part of these large platforms that are owned by big corporations, like that's not necessarily true. Like as you pointed out in your Q&A, the internet is built on open source software and that software talks to each other using protocols that nobody owns. So if I wanted to, I could build a server in my home and start serving my own web pages, and run my own email server and run my own Mastodon server. I could do all these things on my own right now as it exists. So why is that something that needs to be fixed? Is this like, is, is the move towards web three, like all the technologists saying, oh, you know, web three is the future. Are they actually saying like, we need to build a new layer on top of this technology that already exists? Or are they sort of calling for like a return to the more pure days of the web before the platform's
2: dominated? It, it is, we are talking about a new layer, because as you say, and as I mentioned, uh, thanks for calling that, I thought that was pretty smart, uh, in the QA, right, the internet, as distinct from the web, is decentralized already. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, or, or like, you can build anything yes. decentralized, on the internet now, if you want.
2: Right, and as you say, Mastodon is a decentralized, open source social, you know, Twitter alternative, right? That's what Mastodon is, Twitter Yes, mm-hmm. yes, I know it's easy to forget. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, this is such a frothy mix of different ideas that there's, there's different answers to that question, you know? There's a lot of economic activity happening right now in the crypto space that, um, and this was especially on display with the wave of ICOs, initial, coin offerings a couple years ago that looked pretty clearly like regulatory arbitrage where where you were doing you were getting people to invest in something just like you would with a security or a stock but because it was something different it was a coin you didn't have to, it didn't have to register with the sec and you didn't have to follow regulations and a lot a lot of uh you know ordinary people lost their shirts so there is that side of it but i think the attitude of the the sort of ideologically motivated Web3 people like a Gavin would. And I, I don't even mean ideological as a pejorative, just people who are motivated sort of by philosophical commitments. It's not wanting to get around regulation so much as having no faith in regulation. So when I look at a problem like, you know, Google's stranglehold over so much of the internet and advertising markets and mobile markets and browsing and search and everything, to me that looks like a policy problem. And a lot of people treat it as a policy problem, right? And and the FTC and the DOJ are and state attorneys general are working on that problem right now. But a lot of people in the Web three space, somewhat understandably, just have no faith in the government fixing the monopoly problem, and so they turn to the appeal of technological solutions rather than policy solutions.
1: I wanna bring it back to the actual experience on Web3 because you asked Gavin Wood a really good question. You asked him like for a specific example of how this would work. You know, how two app developers or creators or even consumers would use an app that is that is built on Web3. And how did he describe this?
2: I didn't totally pin him down on this, but I think the answer is it wouldn't look that different in theory from apps that we interact with now, because the the main differences are gonna be things that are below the surface level or the the user level but i but i actually had an interesting conversation yesterday with um the founder of a company called Presearch, and this is a search engine that is uh you know designed to be a google alternative it's a very privacy focused search engine and it's incorporating a lot of web3 principles so f- for example i mean on on a on a technical level it's distributed in the sense that instead of having a server a bunch of servers in a warehouse running the software it's actually users can elect to be nodes in the network and so it is it is decentralized in that respect like when you when you put in a search query it gets routed to nodes in the network and to incentivize people to volunteer their computing power in that way there's a coin associated with it a, a, a token a, crypt, a crypto token associated with it and this is this is a really common feature of web3 businesses which parenthetically mostly don't exist most web3 businesses are business ideas or proposals mm-hmm. and not actual businesses but there are some that are closer to reality and, and Presearch is one of them the privacy browser brave is actually maybe the, the most established um but this idea of decentralization is still hypothetical, as Colin, this the the founder of this company, freely acknowledged when we were talking yesterday. He said, right, so far pre-search still controls uh, how its business functions, how the software works. But in theory, one day he would like to see a setup where the users and the people, the stakeholders who hold these coins, and by the way, you also get rewarded by, just by doing searches. Um, they will have some way of participating in the governance of the platform. And this is a crucial idea behind the Web3 vision, is that you, the user, or the, or the you know the participant, you are somehow active in providing the service and maybe like literally voting on how things happen.
1: We're going to have to take a quick break, but I did want to ask you, like, how does this creation of applications um, for Web3 create value in the goods that people are exchanging on the Internet? Because we're hearing about how this is going to open things up for the creator economy who make digital goods or apps. Like, How does that actually work?
2: The, yes, that's such a good question. It, it depends exactly what you're talking about. So in the case of a Web3 company like the one I was just talking about, the generally the, the the economic value here is coming from the token associated with it. So, for example, with this with presearch, the idea is that um, advertisers who instead of just bidding with dollars to have their ad displayed at the top of the search results, they have to bid in these, this coin. And so, they don't, but they don't actually spend the coin, they stake it. So they have to buy the coins if they wanna bid in the auction, and then if they win the auction, those coins are staked, which basically means you can't use them, they're kind of locked up. And the point here is that this is generating demand for the token, which raises the value of the token. And then on the flip side, you get rewarded in you know fractions of a token every time you do a search. So the idea here, which is very common when you talk to Web3 entrepreneurs, is all about um, ins- aligning the incentives so that everybody participating in the network or the exchange that you're talking about is is motivated by the value of the token. And the thing that I haven't figured out yet is, is this just a Ponzi scheme or multi-level marketing? And the, and I'm not saying that it's an, a conscious scam because a lot of these entrepreneurs and founders I'm talking to are very high-minded and idealistic. But at a certain point, if the value proposition here is just coming from increasing demand for this asset over time, and the value of the asset um, doesn't have any external referent. Then there's something a little bit Ponzi-ish about it. I haven't yeah. really made up my mind. What's holding the house mm-hmm. up? Right. Right.
1: Yeah. Or is it just false scarcity? Okay, I think you've hit the right note of skepticism for us to take a break <laughs> and then come back and resume that part of the conversation. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. So Web3 is really just one part of a bigger conversation that's happening right now about what the future of the web will really look like. Some high-profile technologists, yeah, we couldn't get through one week of the podcast without mentioning Mark Zuckerberg, are drawing out these visions right now or introducing these new frameworks for the web, this next set of connected experiences. But I'm curious, how realistic are these pie-in-the-sky ideas? And is it going to make the internet any more equal than it is right now? So lot as you were talking to Gavin Wood about Web3 and these other entrepreneurs who you've now been able to chat with, which elements of this vision struck you as legit and which parts seemed a little bit more like science fiction?
2: So far, my feeling is that the, the strong version of the pitch for Web3 is that it's going to break the stranglehold, uh, the, the power of the central gatekeepers like the Googles and the Apples and the Facebooks. And I have yet to figure out why that would be true. So, so far to me, that feels like science fiction. However, is there room for alternative businesses that maybe appeal to more technically minded audiences or user bases and can find ways to monetize through having their own tokens or coins in a non-scammy way? I'm coming around to thinking that the answer to that could be yes. I, I think there's something to... Uh, these alternate business models but there's there's more of a kind of philosophical question which is will this technology really lead to more distribution of power of wealth of value of creativity or will it like just about every technological innovation in history find a way to facilitate greater concentration and make let the rich get richer and the powerful get more powerful and the the jury is still out on that. I mean, just because you're using the blockchain doesn't mean that there's nobody with more power. It's, you know, there's people who hold more of the coins, there's people who manage the protocols, there's people who have power off the blockchain that they can use to influence events on the blockchain. And I don't know when we're going to find out the answers to this question. I mean, you, you could look at it as, you know bitcoin's only a, a little more than a decade old think about how long it took from the invention of the internet protocols the even the invention of email till we got to a point where people understood how you could use it and browsers existed in the not, you know that was a long time or you could say you know bitcoin has been around as long as the the blockchain has been around as long as the iphone <laughs> where's our apps <laughs> yeah
0: i and i'm i'm going to back you up with that uh, cynical worldview because I do believe that like once a platform becomes valuable, then it's open for manipulation by capital and people who want to control it, right? And these will only these new web3 systems that we're talking about are only going to become valuable when people actually start using them. So as the network grows and becomes more widespread, then it creates more value for all the users and it creates more value for people who want to use it to make money advertisers, VCs, whatever. So, you know, you're talking about like building a new system with this new technology and the technology is based on trust and transparency and those things are not like trust and transparency in a system and that system being valuable are not mutually exclusive.
2: Right. But I would also say just to your point about the the value coming when as a network grows, this is such a good point because... You have to ask yourself, what's going to make the user want to, the, the, the person, uh, want to use some Web3 alternative to existing, right? Why, why would I sign up for a Web3-based social network, right? Why would I use a Web3-based search engine? And because as, as you I, believe
0: in Web3 and you want to, like, you have to already be in the game in order to want to yeah, play,
2: right? I, I said to, to Colin Pape, the, the founder of PreSearch yesterday, um, you know, I don't think that people's complaint about Google is that the ledger is too mutable.
1: <laughs> right. You're complaining that now when they Google something, there are six ads that come at the top right. of the feed. And, and,
2: and to his credit, he fully acknowledged that. He said, look, for now, our, our target audience is definitely people who care about this, people who are more tech savvy. And over time, once, you know, once they've built up the network, that's when the, the, norm, the more normal non-enthusiast people Will come around. So there's like a dot 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 in between those two steps that I haven't quite figured out. But a great question to ask when you're when someone's pitching you some Web three alternative to an existing app or platform or network is why are people going to want to use this? And and maybe the answer, as as they would say, is it's because of the tokens. It's because you're going to be we're going to be paying you. You're going to the stake. The value incentives are all going to be aligned, and everybody's going to want to join and build up the value of the token, and that's what's going to draw people in. Maybe that'll happen in some cases, but that's the right question to ask. And it might be a situation where, you know, like we're seeing with cryptocurrency now, where
0: you have like a few crypto coins that are very valuable, and then there's like a bazillion people out there who are trying to get you to buy their coin because they want to build the value of their coin. And it's like, which one do you buy into? Do you buy into, you know, Tiddlywink coin, or do you buy into Ethereum or or Bitcoin or like one of the ones that you know, holds real value in the world. Totally. And
2: if we extend that line of thinking, let's say that each of the three of us starts uh, our own Web3, you know, social social network. And we each have this, you know, token-based business model. You could imagine the same winner-take-all effects that exist in Web2 to apply to Web3, where one of our tokens is going to start to build value. That's going to be the winner. That's going to be the network everybody wants to get on. And maybe in Web3, we'll just have the Web3 version of Facebook, the dominant social media, uh, the the dominant social network, because it might not be possible for all these different token-based business models to succeed at the same time.
1: Yeah. So on the one hand, here at Wired, we tend to be cautious optimists and keeping an eye towards the future. Um, But I'm fascinated by these relatively new attempts by technologists to codify what's been emerging for years now, right? Like, what's in a name? Um, Blockchain's been around forever, forever, several years at this point. (laughs) Non-fungible tokens, the idea of that is not necessarily new. The metaverse, you know, for a while was VR and AR, and then a few years ago it became XR, and now it's the metaverse. So like on the one hand, you know, humans often feel the need to label or name things. So maybe that's not all that unusual. And sometimes by naming or creating structure around something, we can bring them into existence. But I can't help but be a little bit skeptical that by creating names around these technologies it's it's basically part of a land grab for this next version of the web and it's just it, what it's going to lead to is just more capital because it enables companies to go to sandhill road and pitch their startups and say i'm a web3 company i'm a metaverse company and we certainly see that in our inboxes here at wired too
2: naming something is very powerful and you're right to be skeptical i mean i I think it's fair to say that the people who deserve the most credit or blame for popularizing the web3 term are the venture capitalists at Andreessen Horowitz who's uh, their their crypto fund specifically. They uh, it's been reported in a lot of places that they're making a big lobbying push uh, on Washington to make sure that regulations and laws that are passed, you know, don't don't uh, imperil their crypto holdings and investments. And uh, they're very bullish on this Web3 notion. So there's, you know, these are money people, right? They think that they can make money. They think there's money to be made here. Um, But at the same time, I think that the reason that it's kind of catching on is that, and the reason that other buzzwords are catching on lately, like the metaverse, is that people are kind of sick of the status quo. I think that uh, things feel a little bit stuck right now. And we're, you know, we're getting tired of using the same interfaces that are actually kind of getting worse, like shopping for stuff on it. Finding what you want on Amazon has gotten harder. Finding the right results on Google has in many ways gotten harder um, because they've rolled up so much of the economy that they don't have to try as hard to be good. And so people are kind of sick of that. And the idea of something new... A new way to interact, you know, a new, you know, genuinely exciting technological development is, well, it's genuinely exciting. And when you put a name on that, it helps people imagine, um, you know, it sort of ties together things that otherwise might seem disparate and gives people something to get excited about. The question is, are we going to get something genuinely cool or is it just the money guys who are going to uh, get the return on investment? Just the money guys. It's always just the money, guys.
0: <laughs> Sorry. I was just going to say something
1: eloquent, like, "Well, we probably can't answer that in this podcast, but to you know, but Mike just answered it for us. So thank you, Mike. You're welcome. All right, um, Galad, thank you so much for trying to unpack all of this complicated Web three lingo. Um, I think we're going to have to have you back on in the future to unpack it a little bit more. But let's take a break, and then we're going to come back with recommendations. All right, Galad, as our guest of honor and resident blockchain Web3 expert, what is your recommendation?
2: Okay, I've got two recommendations this week. The first one is um, sticking on the blockchain theme, the book Digital Gold by the New York Times reporter Nathaniel Popper I recently read, and it's very good. So it was published in 2015, so it's not going to bring you up to speed. You know, no one was talking about, well, almost no one was talking about Web3 back then, but it's a really good introduction, very detailed history of Bitcoin and by extension blockchain. And he, the author is a very good, clear explainer of difficult concepts. So if anybody out there doesn't really know where to begin, I do recommend that book. Digital Gold? Digital Gold. And then my other recommendation, when perhaps I'm stealing this from one of you guys, is our producer, Boone Ashworth, has a fantastic feature on Wired.com right now. Uh, the Twitter wildfire watcher who tracks California's blazes. It's really masterfully done by our friend Boone. It's about a guy uh, who, I don't want to give too much away, but it's about um, the, the most popular and helpful Twitter account that warns people in California uh, when and whether to evacuate because of wildfires. And it's run by a guy all the way in New Zealand, mm-hmm. oddly enough. And... Boone just goes into a lot of fascinating uh, detail about about this man and his story and how he got into this and how and like the nuts and bolts of how he does it uh, and the impact that has so highly highly recommend that. So let me just say, Galad, you
0: lovely bastard, you did, in fact, <laughs> steal my recommendation. I was going to recommend that everybody read Boone's story because, you know, Boone is our producer. He sits here, uh, you know, either on Zoom or in the room with us every week and does this show. But he's also a fantastic writer, as you mentioned. Um, and yeah, it's a lovely story. Uh, it's, it's a feature, so it's long right. and it has beautiful photographs and it is... It, it also talks about sort of the breakdown that happens when people are craving real-time information and the emergency services are too busy dealing with the emergency to provide real-time information and how that creates a vacuum that is filled by all of these volunteers.
2: Yeah, there's really interesting dynamics mm-hmm. in there. But I I, I kind of want to pump the brakes because I'm worried that we're pre- we're laying it on too thick at this point. Yes. Because Boone, wh- what are we going to do if he like gets too big for this podcast i mean he already is but he insists on doing it i've tried to get rid of him. Ah, i see okay so this is a we're trying to inflate him so that he floats away i think so (laughs) okay
0: anyway yeah big round of applause for boone uh this is this is your first big feature story for wired after working here a couple years and you know writing a lot of really great stories and editing a lot of really great podcasts but um this is a big one and it's and it's it's great everybody should read it the twitter wildfire watcher who tracks california blazes Thanks, guys.
2: Okay, that's Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, now can you say something really mean about Boone? Okay. <laughs> Just to uh, balance it out. <laughs> so
1: I was going to recommend this story that's on Wired.com today. Um, it's titled The Twitter Wildfire Watcher Who Tracks California Blazes. <laughs> Never heard of it. It's by um, this guy named Boone Ashworth. Uh, he also happens to be our podcast producer. Am I being redundant at all?
0: I uh, or- Tell no. me more. No, this is this is how the blockchain works.
1: This is how. Oh, okay. All three of us it us is this.
2: That's very. Are good. we all getting
1: paid in tokens for yes. like booncoin? Booncoin. This booncoin. Booncoin. Oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and so would when people when they ask you how much your your booncoin is worth, they're gonna say how much is
2: worth? Yes. Or you can
1: just call it ashcoin because then it's like how much is your ash worth?
2: How many people do you think are still listening at this point? I <laughs> quit. <laughs> 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 Okay, really, what's your recommendation? Okay, my
1: recommendation this week is going to be a borrowed recommendation from another week. Mike, you had recommended Broad City a while back, and uh, you kept telling me you need to watch it. It's not a new show, it started in 2014, it ran through 2019. Uh, I finally started watching it. It is hilarious. Now, now, basically, like in the evenings, I wonder how late is too late to text Mike and say, just an FYI, I'm crying, laughing right now watching Broad City. I, I, it's so deeply weird and funny. And the two women who write the show and star in the show are so talented. And I'm just, I'm loving it.
0: Well, never too late to text me. Uh, okay. I just reserve the right to wait until 6 a.m. when I wake up to respond. Okay. <laughs>
1: Yeah, pretty much my signal last night to Mike was, I wasn't that late, but I was like, oh my God, I'm at the seafood episode. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, it's so good.
2: And are you, so, are you more so of an good. Abby person or an Alana person? This is
1: an important question. Uh, I feel like, oh God, I don't know. So I lived in New York in my 20s and I'm trying to think of like for a long time, I'm like pretty much the whole decade. And I'm, and I'm trying to think of like who I was probably more like and I was probably a little bit more of an Abby yeah, Obviously. I think I was. I think I was an Abby.
0: I think so too. Mm-hmm. The Oz Queen.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I too worked at a gym and aspired to be a spin instructor. No, I didn't really. But um, I mean, I don't know. It'd be fun to be a spin instructor. Oh my
2: God, that's very... that not the message of the show.
1: <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> it's not at all. It's no, it's no. It's strike that. Okay. <laughs> it's it's
0: also very rewatchable.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems that way.
0: When you get to the end, you wait a year and then go back and rewatch it.
1: Also, it's just it's like many shows—a nice snapshot of our lives pre-pandemic. Yeah, you know they're on the subway or they're in clubs or doing whatever they're doing, and I'm like, oh, they're you know they end up in the hospital together one night, the seafood episode, <laughs> and and I'm like, oh, there are no masks, like everyone's just all crowded and on top of each other, and.
2: To be fair, most television shows are like that. Yeah, I know.
1: I know. Yep. All right think we're gonna end it and by the way did i mention our producer boone wrote a great story this week what's it about Wired.com. it's about wildfires
0: and the people who tweet about
2: them
1: uh and the people who tweet about them and one man in particular who lives in new zealand you really you guys should really all go read this story does not ring a bell okay i'll send it to you cool Via slack
2: put it on the blockchain please
1: all right that's our show bye thank you (laughs) bye Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, thank you, Snack Fight, as always, for being a great co-host. Uh,
0: just uh, same same to you.
1: And, and thanks for recommending Broad City a You're while welcome. ago. So I could recommend it again.
0: Glad you like it. All
1: right. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. Also, you can leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. I love reading those. This show is produced by um, this guy named Boone Ashworth, who also wrote a story on Wired.com this week. Go oh, my God. It. Did he? He did. Goodbye.
2: Welcome to the Booniverse.
0: (laughs) Hi, everyone. Michael from Gadget Lab here. I want to tell you about our friends over at The Big Take Podcast from Bloomberg News. Each weekday, they bring you one important story from their global newsroom, like how AI will upend your life or why China's targeting the U.S. dollar and maybe how Joe Biden plans to take on Donald Trump. Oh, boy. Check out The Big Take, a daily podcast from Bloomberg, wherever you listen.